happens is as you get enough good players here, enough guys committed, enough guys working, then you know the, the W start take care of themselves. And uh, you know it's interesting. I was I laughed at it last year. I'll laugh at it again this year. Minnesota, they're they're winning, doing all kind of things. I, they didn't have a. I don't think they had anybody above a three star. I don't think. You know, and they still keep winning. They're beating everybody, and they do a good job. It's just a process, and keep it going. Eventually, the more games you win, then you'll have more and more situations like that. Um, but I also heard Gary Patterson say last year, he said he's tired of, he's going to recruit the guys he's always recruited before because he felt like he got out of his realm, and uh, and they dipped, and then he went back to his realm of recruiting the guys that he thought fit TCU and that were hungry and had a chip on their shoulder, and I think we're seeing that change back. Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio. Your hosts Adam Munster, Tiger Ryan Konigsberg, and fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Gentlemen, step up to the mic and drop some CU knowledge. And we will try to do just that. Drop some CU knowledge, particularly recruiting. This is a recruiting-only show. I'm Adam Munster, Tiger, joined by Ryan Konigsberg. We are taping this midday on Monday. By and large, we kind of know, Ryan, what this CU recruiting class is going to look like. Yeah, we do, and um, obviously it's not the, uh, the blow-your-way-with-the-rankings type of class, but um, uh, and we'll get into this obviously a lot more, but I, I think there's some, some guys in here that can definitely get the fan base excited. In the open, we heard Mike McIntyre talking about uh, Minnesota, uh, a school that has done well, won some games recently under Jerry Kill, despite not having the blue chip recruits in their recruiting classes. He talks about TCU, which had a lot of successes last year, and mentioning that Gary Patterson kind of went away from recruiting those blue chip guys to try to get the guys that he thought fit the program, and obviously that's worked out well for them. It kind of leads me to my point that no matter where you are with recruiting, you can kind of, I don't know if spin is the right word, but you can you can have add commentary that's going to fit your agenda. Whether you, If you're recruiting a top 10 class, you're, all you're going to talk about is the star ratings. If you're not, you're going, to, you're going to take that angle of things. I remember when John Embry was here, he would use Wisconsin as the example. So there's always a way to kind of spin the recruiting rankings to, to, where, to, to where your program is. Yeah, no coach has ever gone into their signing day press conference and said, yeah, well, just didn't get any guys this year. You know, <laughs> Tough year. Uh, we'll try and get a couple good guys next year. And within the CU fan base, uh, and this is based off things we see on Twitter, things we see on the message boards, is there's this faction of fans that see everything through uh, black and gold colored glasses, and they think every recruit adds something of value and they're excited about. And there's the other hand, and some people have an agenda, or some people just put so much stock into the recruiting rankings. And when, when I look at this recruiting class for Colorado right now, they're sitting at 18 commitments 19 if you include Aaron Baltazar. My feelings make me feel like I'm straddling the fence a little bit. I see I see kind of where both sides are coming from, but they need to come more towards the middle because, like you said, there are guys in this class that are going to be really good football players. I, in fact, I like most of the guys on this commitment list. But, yeah, they're, they're ranked 11th in the Pac-12. This Is this a class that's going to help them win a Pac-12 championship next year? No. But what are your goals? What are your expectations is kind of where I come from. And if your expectations are for this class to help build continuity within your program and help them take that next step to a bowl game, then I think this class could be that. Yeah, and you you say uh, you have to say what where the program is right now. And you have to look at that and, and then compare the class to that. Don't be comparing the class to Oregon or Alabama or anyone like that because you, you are going to be disappointed but, you know, I think the number one thing you have to see when you see this class is the fact, and we've talked about it a lot with this staff, but they really do go and turn over every rock. Yeah. And, and they find, you know, guys like Aaron Baltazar, who just, you know, we was never on our radar the whole entire class. And all of a sudden they got this guy, and you look at what he did before that knee injury at Boise State, and you say, that's a, that's a good, good player. And that's kind of what the staff has to do. And I guess it's in, it's encouraging from our standpoint to see that they really do dig and they really do find the be, the best players that are they're going to be able to get to come to Colorado. The most important month in recruiting for this staff has been in June. You mentioned that they work hard and 
basically don't take a day off in the month of June. And you look at the commitments, and this is definitely the glass half full aspect of looking at this recruiting class, is seeing all these guys that they evaluated in person. And it's a majority of this class. And so that's certainly the optimistic view of, of it. In terms of the, the pessimistic view of it, again, it kind of goes back to expectations. We follow the CU program closely. We, we you know, you live in Boulder. I drive up from Superior and see the Flatirons and, and just am amazed every time I go up there and see all the things that this university has to offer and the, the academics and the facilities they're building. But the truth is, if you're somewhere else, this is, you know, Colorado in the Pac-12 is like, we would look at Wake Forest in the ACC or Indiana in the Big Ten or Kentucky football in the SEC. That's the perception right now, and that hurts in recruiting. Yeah, and we talk about it so often. It's it's all about what have you done for me lately, and what have you done lately. And none of these kids, you know, and we always talk about, you know, if they can get them up on campus, they'll see those flat irons, and they'll see this and that. But so many guys, you know, they look at Colorado, and they just you know, they pass right over it. Because, it, like you said, it's all about what have you done lately, and CU hasn't done much lately. So... The challenge for the staff is a lot greater than even a staff that you know has been to a couple bowl games in four years. There's not much to show right now, and they have to find uh, alternate ways to, to get through to these recruits and try and get them on campus so they can see the things that fans and you and I love so much about Boulder that, and that makes it hard for people to understand why people why kids don't want to come here. You know, it's, it's the interesting debate in terms of well, if they don't have blue chippers in this recruiting class, it can't be considered a good recruiting class. And uh, I think you look at it, the studies have been done. If you're a five-star recruit, you have a better chance of being drafted. You have a better chance of being all-conference in college than a four-star. And a four-star greater than a three. And it's pretty drastic, the percentages in terms of how greater your chances are, the higher you are ranked. But... Even when Colorado's had blue chippers in, in some of their classes recently, not only have those guys not panned out, but there hasn't been class depth, and that's been the biggest concern. I was looking back, and the numbers really kind of solidified what, what I was thinking. Back to 2009, this was a Hawkins class. Only six of those 20 signees that year made it through their entire career at Colorado through L, all their eligibility. 2011, Hawkins' last recruiting class, only 8 of 24 made it all the way through their college career before either transferring, getting kicked out. For a variety of reasons, those kids, the majority of that class, didn't make it through. 2011, this was Embry's transition class. Only 12 of 23 stayed at CU throughout their career. That's a, trending a little bit in the more positive direction, but that's still only uh, a little bit more than 50%. And uh, 2012... Still, uh, you've only got 13 of the 28 signees still on the roster. These are the guys right now that would be true seniors or redshirt juniors that which that should be the strength of your football team, and those guys are just never sticking around. So what happens is you get in this reoccurring cycle of attrition and having to play younger guys maybe before they're ready, and you can never build that that you know really deep, solid senior class. Since Mike McIntyre took over, Gunnar Graham in the 2013 class has uh, decided to stop playing football. And then Isaiah Holland, this last recruiting class. That's only two so far now. Of course, over time, there's going to be more attrition in those classes. But still, I think the signs are positive in the sense that you're finally kind of building some continuity on this roster. Yeah, I think when you hear those numbers that you just rattled off, it's hard to believe that so you can even feel the team losing half or more of their recruiting class every year. But like you said, it it's they bring in these freshmen and they got to force them onto the field because they don't really have another choice and um, we've talked about this before it makes it easier for them to transfer they still have that red shirt year in their pocket so it's almost like a vicious cycle and, and like you just pointed out it does look like it's trending in the right direction and that's kind of what what is the most important thing in terms of that you look at some of these teams the first one that comes to my mind from this last season is uh UTSA they had something like 25 or 30 seniors uh, that were that were on the roster and playing, and it's a team that you're not expecting to be good. But you know they they give Arizona a run for their money early in the season. It's when you can. It's almost you know when you can bind those seniors together that have been there for four years and they know the program and they know the system. That's when you start doing special things as a team, and it's hard to do it when you're just you know restarting all over every year. On paper. This 2015 class that they're about to sign is pretty comparable to last year's signing class. Right now, they uh, have a 2.72 star rating average, 
Tim Lenat headlining. He's a four-star on three of the four media outlets that to cover recruiting. Last year, 2014, they had a 2.67 average star rating. And Shea Fields was the headliner there. He was a four-star on Rivals. Uh, I believe a high three-star on most, most other uh, media outlets that cover recruiting. So very comparable. They're not going to finish in dead last in the Pac-12 recruiting rankings, which, hey, that's the start. <laughs> uh, but again, still kind of towards the, the bottom of that. Ryan, when you compare this class to, to last year's, it, was there anything that, that stood out to you? Um, I think, you know, the number one thing that I like to see is keeping uh, guys like Tim Lanat and Dylan Middlemiss and um, getting three out of the five top guys in Colorado. Four, four out of six if you look at if you go down that far. Yeah, exactly. So um, that that's the thing that stands out to me um, as opposed to last year where they kind of had um, those guys slip through their fingers. Now, it was a little bit of a down year. They, they didn't even offer any guys beyond that the, the top six. And uh, we're going to talk later about some of the CU targets that got away that, that where it was a disappointing situation for the Buffs. I wouldn't even include, honestly, Eric Lee Jr. and Avery Anderson, the top two ranked in-state guys this year, because for one, Eric Lee Jr. was uh, you know the son of uh, uh, his both of his parents graduated from Nebraska. He spent some of his childhood living right off campus in Lincoln. He uh, always wanted to go there. Shoot, CU was the first school to offer him, so it's not like they did anything wrong in the recruiting process of him. And then Avery Anderson, they didn't even offer. So uh, I disagree. I actually think that uh, Tim Lenat's the second best in-state recruit this cycle. But uh, the guys out, uh, the the head rivals guys disagree with me there. Real quick here, we're not going to spend a lot of time on looking ahead to 2016 because they don't have any commits for that. But uh, it's going to be a really small class next year. I think the main key for Mike McIntyre and his staff is they need to they need to be patient and not take too many early commitments. They've only got nine scholarship seniors coming up uh, for, for next year. And uh, you see guys like Patrick Carr that come available really late in the recruiting process. And if you fill up too early, you don't have room for those guys. Yeah, I think um, if you are able to get a fully transparent uh, CU staff, they might say that they uh, felt like they filled this class up a little too quickly. Um, it, like you said, there's guys like Shea Fields, Patrick Carr, that um, kind of just come out of nowhere at the end of the process. And for a team like CU, they have to be able to, to sign those guys. So um, in a class like this year's, they're kind of shuffling late to try and get those guys in where, you know, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to do that. You have a couple spots at the end there that you can stuff guys into. That would be a, a criticism I would maybe have, even of, of the 2015 classes. I felt like I'm not trying to pick on any commitments, but a guy like Chris Bounds that, that didn't have any other offers, you, you probably can wait a little bit on him. And, uh, you know, but that's my thinking. The staff might be in love with it. I mean, they like Chris Bounds enough to take his commitments. They have a different mentality looking at this. But from the outside looking in, I think there could have been more Patrick Cars in this recruiting class. If There's coaching changes every year, and I think they could have maybe taken advantage of that more. Um, going along uh, here... There are basically three guys that, as a CU fan, you kind of need to be keeping an eye on here as we go into signing day on Wednesday. One of those guys, Patrick Carr, who we just mentioned, uh, a running back from Texas, ranked among the top 15 all-purpose backs this recruiting cycle. A 5'8 guy, more of a, a speed back, a 4'4 type guy. He was the all-time uh, leading rusher there at the Woodlands uh, High School in the Houston area that uh, Colorado's pulled guys from before. He was all set to go to Arkansas. And then Jonathan Williams, Arkansas standout back as a junior this last year, announced that he's coming back. And from everything I'm hearing, the Razorback staff kind of thought he was going to leave, so they thought they were going to have a spot for Patrick Carr. It turns out that they don't now here late uh, in, in the recruiting cycle. And Patrick Carr only takes one official visit out to Colorado this past weekend. From, from what I hear, even though I haven't had a chance to interview Patrick Carr yet, it sounds like that trip went really well. And there seems to be a decent chance that he'll sign with Colorado. My prediction here is he'll pick CU, and I'm going to put that more at kind of a low confidence at this point just because I haven't had a chance to talk to him. He's a kid that doesn't really like the attention much, and, and it's part of the reason he only took this one visit. He wasn't really all into the recruiting process like a lot of these kids. He doesn't, to my knowledge, have a Twitter account. He's just kind of an under-the-radar guy that wants to play football. And uh, Did you have any feelings on Patrick Carr? No, I, th I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, and... Um, in this age, it's rare to, to find a kid like that who, you know, he doesn't want to be on Twitter. He's not, you know, 
posting his every move on there for an 18 year old kid and um i think for a coach that's like that's a dream scenario when you find a kid who says i I don't care about any of this i just want to play football i've noticed i'm getting off topic here but i've noticed more with this recruiting class than any class i can remember most of these kids they'll do the interview but it's almost like you feel like you're the dentist and they're the dentist chair they don't really like answering questions and i don't know i guess if i'm a fan i would actually kind of as a media guy, I want them to, to be like Philip Lindsay and just bubble with all this energy and give me all these quotes. As a fan, maybe you kind of want the quiet guy that is going to come in here and be down to business and not be worried about uh, what, you know, what color armband he has on, you know. Yeah, I mean, as a player, as a fan, you know, you could go either way. I, I know um, for the sports teams that I'm a fan of, I love to see the, the out, outlandish quotes and all that sort of thing, the Rob Gronkowskis of the world. Um, but... There is uh, um, something to be said about, you know, the kids who keep to themselves and they just want to, you know, get in there, get their work done and get out of there. And definitely from a coach's perspective, that's who, who they're yeah. going to favor. Another guy that uh, has not publicly announced yet is Jeremy Kelly, a, a two-way standout from California, a top 100 recruit in California. Uh, I believe he will end up signing with Colorado on Wednesday. I don't know if he will make that public until that letter of intent uh, is sent off. He's decided to kind of go underground here the last month or so, not talking to anybody. My prediction there, as I mentioned, is Colorado with a high confidence. I think Jeremy Kelly will be part of this class, which would be a nice addition here late. Uh, J.J. Wilson, the four-star safety prospect uh, from, from California, took an official visit out to CU this past weekend. Uh, everything I'm hearing kind of leans towards Arizona State. I think CU is still in the picture. But I don't think they're going to end up signing him. I think he will end up going to Arizona State. He's got that blue shirt offer from USC, but apparently, and I think this is probably the right way to look at it, uh, he's not too comfortable going in as a walk-on with the promise of a scholarship. Uh, it, that's a dangerous way to kind of pin your future on a promise made by a coach that may or may not be there in a couple years. Yeah, I don't know how many more colors of shirts we have left to uh, assign to players. I, I hadn't heard of that one. When until we, when we get to pink shirts, I'm going to know there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, if Patrick Carr and Jeremy Kelly do sign with the Buffs, do, do they slot into your top five commitments? Uh, would they... Let me look at the... Kind of look, compare them to the guys. Um, You know, they would honestly be... Right on that fringe, I think you'd be kind of splitting hairs. Um, I might, ha- I might have to sneak Petchikar into my top five if you were to commit. Uh, moving along, there were a couple guys that were on the commitment list a couple weeks ago that are no longer on the commitment list. One of those, a guy that we were very excited about, TJ Fohoko, just putting up crazy stat numbers at Cottonwood Senior in Salt Lake City. Some academic issues there, a parting of ways between him, him and CU. He wanted to take some other visits. CU was concerned about his academics. And so they decided to, uh, like I said, mutually part ways. He's going to decide between Washington State, Nevada, and NC State. And depending on when you're listening to this, he might have already decided. Boogie Sewell, uh, undersized defensive. Well, I shouldn't say weight-wise he wasn't undersized, but height-wise he was about 5'11 and a half. Boogie Sewell, a defensive tackle. There's some health issues uh, there. He's going to take a, a mission. They're stocked up with defense alignment now. It just seemed uh, a good situation to kind of move on from that situation. And he, uh, in turn, committed to Weber State on Sunday night. It's I know Boogie Sewell wanted to be a buff. It's kind of it's it's tough to see a young man that really wanted to play for a university kind of have the rug pulled out from underneath him. But you know, this at the end of the day, this is a business. Yeah, it's it is really tough, and that's why I mentioned earlier. You know, you you would like to have it set up so you have some spots open late, and you don't have you can maybe um, follow through with that stuff. And even if they did, you know, maybe uh, things fall the same way with Boogie. But it it is a bummer because um, in the recruiting game, sometimes uh, you can't be, always be Mister Nice Guy. And from a fan's perspective, they have it's easier to understand that. From a guy like Boogie Sewell and his family, it's probably a little harder to understand why they would, they would you know accept his commitment and then do this to him later. So it's a bummer in that sense. Well, you know, on the other hand, it, it, you, I don't know if you've ever seen on on Twitter like an what an actual letter, uh, I'm sorry, a scholarship offer, a written scholarship offer looks like. There's a lot of wordage in there. It's not just here's an offer. It's 
this is contingent on you doing things the way we we need you to to do them. And so there's health issues, um, and he he gains some bad weight and is overweight. And uh, so it's not like these scholarship offers are, are just here it is, and we'll never you know keep evaluating you. It's kind of laid out for these kids. Um, so, anyways, moving along. Ryan, were there any guys that were CU targets throughout the process that went somewhere else that were you felt was really disappointing because you thought for the fan base that they were going to commit to CU? Um, not necessarily other than uh, TJ Fajoko. I think that was a big one that fans were starting to get really excited about. And how could you not when you see those type of numbers? It's, yeah. it's almost like the defensive version of Steven Montez putting up insane numbers. Um so that's the the one that kind of pops into my head as uh, I did want to see what he could do in a Colorado uniform. One of them uh, that, that stood out to me was Tony Brown, receiver from La Mirada, yeah. being coached by Mike Machetti there, um, that chose Texas Tech. It seemed like all throughout the process, at least late in the process, he was going to go to UCLA, and then there was this glimmer of hope late, and I kept hearing, oh, wait, CU's got a really good chance, and of course he doesn't end up picking CU he goes to Texas Tech. He's a top 100 California recruit. If you had gotten him and, uh, you know, you get Jeremy Kelly and NJ Follow, that would have been three top 100 recruits in California. That's kind of one of your main recruiting bases. That would have been nice to have three top 100 guys in that state. As it looks, if Kelly chooses them, it'll only be two. Uh, Cade Coat, big offensive lineman from um, Arizona decided to go to uh, Arizona State. I thought he was a beast, and he went out to one of CU's camps, so there was kind of hope that maybe he would possibly pick CU. He didn't. That was one that I felt kind of was a disappointing guy that went elsewhere. Tevis Bartlett from Wyoming. Yeah, we both loved I his sh- game a lot. I should have said that one. Yeah, he, he's definitely up there. He's one of those guys who you just look at him, and you just know, you just know he's going to be the player. He's going to Washington, and he's actually uh, – he, Tevis Bartlett and Quentin Pounds, a cornerback from California, both visited CU the same week, weekend during the season. They were two of only three official visitors during the season, and Quentin Pounds is going to Washington as well. I thought they were going to get Quentin Pounds because when he visited Colorado for the first time, it was the first time he had ever gotten on a plane. So that, it was an unofficial visit, so he paid for it. So it was like, wow, this kid really is into CU if he's doing that. Uh, but, of course, he chooses Washington as well. Another one, this is a little different, Austin Conway choosing basketball. I think he's going to be a really good basketball player for Wyoming. It would have been fun to see what he could have done on the football field. Yeah, he's an absolutely electric athlete. I mean, you watch him on the basketball court and you see him, you know, he's a little guy. And he gets up there and throws down some pretty ferocious dunks and he's so fast and it would have been cool to see him, um, what he could do at defensive back for CU. Or I think slot receiver, too. That Get the too. ball in his hands. Yep. Yeah. Moving along, uh, Ryan, let's see, hit some CU commitment topics here. And we're going to start out with most underrated three-star on their commitment list. There's a pretty big group of three-stars to choose from here. Who's who's the most underrated, in your opinion? Uh, I think you'll hear this name come out of my mouth a couple more times. But I, I think Steven Montez is, is the most underrated three-star. Um, I think he was underrated from the start. I think he's still underrated. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say he deserves to be some you know, five-star recruiter or even a high four-star, but I think he could have been on the, the higher scale there uh, as a three-star and maybe even a low four-star if he plays in um, a bigger market. Well, if Kyle Kearns is a four-star, then Steven Montez should be. That's kind of my thinking there. And I, I was actually going to pick him as well, but I knew you were going to pick him, so I picked somebody else <laughs> to make this a little bit more interesting. And I'm going to go with Jordan Carroll, junior college All-American, already on campus. Uh, he, he strikes me as a, as, as a four-star guy from the junior college ranks. Wasn't even in our top, top 100 JUCO rankings, which to me is a joke. Uh, <laughs> I think he should have been uh, definitely higher than being a, a 5'5", three-star, which is the lowest three-star there is. Ryan, who you got as most underrated two-star? Um, I liked uh, Lyle Tuiloma. Um, you know, he is, like you said uh, on the board recently, he's the, the quintessential diamond in the rough or under the radar yeah. type of prospect. Not not much, uh, really anyone besides the staff has really seen anything from him. So uh, That combine video on YouTube did. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't tell you much. And so I think he's underrated in the sense that, you know, no one really even had, had a chance to really rate him and get a good feel for what he can bring. Um, someone on our board recently said 
that a local high school coach in, in Hawaii said that uh, Colorado got the most underrated player on the islands, and that coach thinks that Tuiloma has a chance to play on Sundays. So, you know, obviously they might be a little biased out there, depending on who the coach was, they didn't specify. But that, that's still really high praise for a kid who, you know, is a, is a two-star recruit. I, I I agree with you, and I'm not even going to uh, pick another guy just because you picked him, because I, I believe that strongly that Lyle Tuiloma is, is the most underrated two-star. He was on campus this last week, has a really, really good frame to build on. Really uh, interesting story, a really, really rough upbringing. Uh, his, his sister finally took over guardianship of him, and, and it seems like she's provided a more stable environment, which is great. Uh, he was a guy that had to play offensive line a lot as a senior because his team needed him there. So if you're getting recruited for defensive tackle, you don't even have that film. And if he... And, then, and beyond that, he didn't really even have film out there. I, apparently, it's just... His high school is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's bordering on third world status out there. It's like a really tough area to grow up in. And Colorado had a chance to evaluate him at their satellite camp in Hawaii. And the word I kept hearing uh, was relentless and that he was just unbelievable in that camp. And so no one else got a chance to see him like in that setting like CU did. And so I agree with you there. Most likely to become fan favorite. Who you got there? There's a lot of options here. Um, uh, I would lean towards the guy I said for my most underrated three-star, but uh, that's too easy. So um, I said NJ Follow. Okay. I think he just he just plays with a certain uh, style about him. Um, I got in trouble for saying the word swagger on one of our, our commitment videos, so I'll stay away from that word. But it's a, it's just the way he gets out. Who called you out for that? I think it was uh, our friend Phil. Phil okay. Philtopia. Um, it. I, I think it's a good word, but I'll, I'll go with the word style. And just he has this the, this aura about him that he he's knows that he's out there and he's going to do some things. And you add in, he's got that Troy Polamalo hair going. I think there's just a lot of things. He he rocks the spats on his cleats. He there's just a lot of things about him that I think fans can uh, get excited about. <laughs> I actually had NJ follow on my list too because <laughs> the fans love the hair. Oh yeah. When you when you're out there making plays as a linebacker with that hair flowing around back there. BJ Beatty. BJ Beatty. Um, I also was kind of thinking about Lyle Tuiloma too. I think when his story gets out there about kind of his rough up- upbringing because I remember Marquez Harad uh, had an issues growing up where he was homeless for a while and he became such a fan favorite that people were making t-shirts about him. So I could see Lyle Tuiloma if his story really gets out there and he comments on it to kind of add color to exactly what he's been through growing up. He might be a fan favorite. Now, in terms of the subject of who's going to play the most significant role in 2015, it's an easy answer, and that answer is puncher Alex Kinney. My question for you, Ryan, is who aside from Alex Kinney is most likely to play a significant role in 2015? Yeah, um, I think the first one that pops into my mind is Jordan Carroll. Um, I think, you know, there's a spot there opening for him from that Judah Parker role. And I think um, we've talked about this before. He could honestly be an upgrade instantly at that position. So um, it's kind of a little more obvious going with a Juco guy. Yeah. But that's the person on that list to me that looks like they're going to get in there right away. I had, I, I agreed with you. I, I had Jordan Carroll, but then, I, I was again, like you said, it's easy to pick a Juco guy, so I was trying to think outside the box. And even Aaron Baltazar seems like it's kind of an easy pick because he's a guy that's already played at the Division One level at Boise State before that knee injury. Uh, the high school guy I would pick is Nick Fisher. I, I'm very high on him. I like his ability. He's about 5'11 and a half, 190. He's physically ready to come in and compete at cornerback, obviously. And you just kind of look at the the situation they have at cornerback. Even if Cheeto Bayouze moves back to cornerback or nickel, I think you're still going to need one of those freshmen to come in and play at cornerback um, just in terms of depth. We'll see if, if Jason Sanchez develops as, as a redshirt freshman going, in, going into his redshirt freshman year, then maybe they won't need to do that. But I think uh, – Especially in the past happy Pac-12, you got to have quite a few guys ready to go cornerback, and I could see Nick Fisher being one of those guys. Let's go down the list real quick. We don't want to take too much time on each guy, but let's talk about each commitment. Maybe use one word we would use to describe them, or just real quick, kind of a, a brief story we have on them. Let's start out with uh, the headlining recruit at this stage, Tim Lanat, offensive guard from Regis Jesuit. He measured in at 6'3", 295 on his official visit. Ryan, what you got? Uh, quick. I, I love his quickness for uh, an offensive lineman. He 
he gets after it and he you know he gets out to that second level really quickly for for a guy that that that's that big so quickness was the uh, word that stood out to me i'm gonna go mauler just because he absolutely mauls people in his junior film moving along alex kinney punter from rocky mountain high school in fort collins important uh he's you know he's so important the the you can win games and lose games with, with special teams and um replacing two guys in that special teams is a scary preposition for CU, so he's really got to uh, get in there and do his thing right away. I use the word undervalued. I know Chris Saylor has him ranked as the nation's third best punter prospect, but I had to fight for him to even get a low three-star rating on Rivals.com. And again, you said there's such an importance about special teams, and you think about if he can come in and do really well at his job, for four years you don't have to worry about that position. So I think... Even if he does that, he's going to be undervalued by the fan base because people just don't get that excited typically about punters. NJ Follow, a stand-up defensive end from Sacramento, the first verbal commitment from this recruiting class. Um, yeah, I use the word competitor. He just gets out there and he competes, and you know, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. He just has swagger. I should have just <laughs> used that as my word. That's that's the word that I see when Screw I see him play. Yeah, get out of here. All right, I'm going to go hybrid because he will play that hybrid role, and you would just watch his film, and he just can do a lot of things, whether it's a, as a stand-up end, putting his hand on the ground, in the backfield, uh, in pass coverage. That's one aspect. When you watch his film, he didn't have a ton of experience in pass coverage, but when he the clips that they did have on there, it looked like he's got a good skill set for that as well. Donald Gordon, running back from Long Beach, measured in at 5'11", 200 pounds on his official visit. Flash. Got to go with Flash, the the nickname that I, I gave to him. Um, he he's quick. He's he's a running back. It just all works together. Flash Gordon, that's perfect. I'm gonna go well dash rounded. I hope that categorizes as one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll but give it to you. You look at his film, and, and he's got good speed, not elite speed. He's got good size. He's not like this trucking back. He's just kind of a well rounded back that I think can do a lot of things well for them. Uh, Aaron Hagler, offensive tackle from Sherman Oaks, California. He measured in at 6'7", 255 pounds on his official visit. Uh, I, I'm looking at your sheet right now, and I already know we both have the same word, so I think we're agreeing too much. We need to find someone who we like don't like their opinions on the board and invite them to come do Buff Stampede Radio <laughs> with us. Um, the word I, I said is project. Um, you know, he played tight end, and, and they're going to try and get him in at offensive tackle, and um, he's six foot seven, two fifty five, and when you think about the best um, situation for that project is a guy who won himself a championship ring last night, and that's Nate Solder. Um, that's if the project goes exactly according to plan. What what you get out of a guy like Aaron Aaron Hagler, but um, right now don't, don't set expectations high or anything. No, no, I'm just saying that's you know that's what the project is. That's your goal is trying to get. Aaron Hagler into um, that type of player. So right now, it, he's not a guy that you would expect to um, contribute for for a good while. But yeah, that's that's why I pick Project. Uh, a lot of what you just said there. I mean, this was a guy that was actually accepted as a commitment last summer as a tight end, and then his uh, high school decides to move him to left tackle, and he does really well there. And they see this six seven two fifty five frame, and they go, okay, we got some other guys in the, in the pipeline offensive tackle. We don't necessarily need him right away. So like you said, he's a guy that's going to sign, people are going to forget about, and then maybe by the time he's a redshirt sophomore or maybe even as a junior, then all of a sudden he's going to be really in the mix there as long as he projects and, and uh, improves and, and can fill into that frame because he's going to be very lean when he gets on campus. Isaiah Oliver, cornerback prospect from Brophy Prep in Phoenix, six foot one, 186 on his official visit. Uh, I said pro- prototypical. He's the, uh, he is what McIntyre wants in a corner. Um, so that's kind of um, that exact build that they like to have out there going for those big corners. I said motor, and I'm stealing that. And this I'll credit Rivals.com recruiting analyst Rob Cassidy. He said that he had seen very few kids across the country that had as good a motor as Isaiah Oliver. So I'm going to steal that from him. Justin Jan, wide receiver from Chandler, Arizona, six foot two and a quarter, 193 pounds on his official visit. I went with the word Gucci. Just like uh, our, our man Gucci Tyler McCulloch, I, I think when um, Colorado recruited a guy like Justin Jam, they kind of saw in him a little bit of that 
receiver that they could put um, on the end of the line and go out there and make some plays in mismatch situations, which uh, we've talked about before. Is kind of I think it's like an accidental position that they discovered because they didn't really have a pass catching tight end this last year. The word I used was hungry. There, I think this is overused. The proverbial chip on your shoulder coming in. When I talked to Justin Jan about the recruiting process and not getting a major power conference offer until his senior year, he just gets real serious and just starts talking about how that really motivates him and will be something he never forgets. I mean, shoot, Tom Brady still remembers being shunned in the NFL draft. Some of these guys can really use that as fuel as they get on campus, and I think Justin Jan's going to be one of those guys that is every week trying to – Prove to the other team on the other sideline that they screwed up by not offering him a scholarship. Frank Umu, defensive tackle from Heritage High School in Littleton, Colorado. Uh, I, I said beast. He just kind of has a beast aspect about him to me. Um, you, you'll see uh, Matt McChesney, uh, where he works out over at 6-0, and Matt McChesney will, will probably say the same thing about him. He just looks like a guy who's going to get his in the weight room and go out there and just try and beast people. Yeah, I was kind of torn between no-nonsense or upside, and this is a kid that just, uh, yeah, he just wants to work and get better. You look at it, when he, during his junior year, he wasn't a Pac-12 caliber recruit. He really worked with the help of Matt McChesney into becoming a guy that Colorado fans are excited about having in their commitment class, a guy that boosted up to three-star status on Rivals.com, and I think uh, as long as he kind of stays on that trajectory, he's going to have a really bright future. Nick Fisher, cornerback prospect uh, from Great Oak High School in Temecula, California. He's a playmaker. Um, I mentioned this in our commit videos. He, he, he likes to bait quarterbacks into doing exactly what he wants to do and then go make a play on the ball. Um, he, he's really able to accelerate when the ball is in the air and, and get out there and just make plays on the ball. I said uh, Cheeto Bay because, as I said in our commit video feature, he reminds me a lot of Cheeto Bay Owuze in terms of his size, his skill set. He's a guy that is, they can kind of fill him into different spots if they need him at nickel or at safety. He'll even be big enough for that, as will Isaiah Oliver at 6'1", 186. But uh, I saw a lot of Cheeto Bay Owuze in Nick Fisher's film. Moving along, Dylan Middlemiss, offensive tackle from Arvada. Played at Pomona High School, six foot five and a half, two hundred ninety pounds on his official visit. He's already on campus as an early enrollee. Ryan, uh, I said hybrid um, because I think he. You know, I, I keep comparing these three guys because I love the fact that I think at some point Colorado's going to have three dudes from Colorado on the starting line. So I like to talk about Isaac Miller, Tim Lanat, and Dylan Middlemiss. And Dylan Middlemiss is a hybrid of Isaac Miller and Tim Lanat, in my opinion. Um, so that was the first, that's the, the, the word that comes to my mind. I used the word solid, and it kind of falls along that same line in terms of, he's a guy that does th everything pretty well, but there's not this one characteristic of him that, like, with Tim Lennon, I call him Mahler. Dylan Middlemas is just kind of solid across the board. Jordan Carroll, defensive tackle from American River College, we've uh, already kind of praised him. He was six foot three, 265 pounds on his official visit, is already on campus uh, for the spring semester. Instant. He's, uh, I think he's the number one guy in this class that has the ability to make an instant impact. Mine's very similar. Ready. Dave Foreman told me a story of their first meeting with these guys, and he's asking for volunteers, and no one wants to help out except Jordan Carroll, a fresh face in that weight room, a guy that doesn't even really know what he's doing up there in terms of the, the technique that Dave Foreman was asking for. Uh, so he's a guy that's ready for, for this team. Steven Montez, quarterback from El Paso. Uh, gunslinger, uh, I think you know he's just that that got that arm that the style about him that he's just going to rip a couple passes across that uh, are going to blow people's minds. I think even when they go out and into fall camp this year. My word is promise. Uh, very high on his potential. It's one of those things we'll wait until to until he gets on campus to really feel confident in in all these expectations we have for him. But at this stage, I've got a lot of promise for him, and I think he's got a promising future. Jay Hockaday, linebacker from Christ Presbyterian Academy in Nashville. Uh, my word was long. He's uh, got that 6'3", 215-pound frame, a guy that uh, can... Uh, he does remind me a little bit of Addison Gillum, but I think he's got some other attributes of his own. Yeah, I was in between lengthy and rangy. I went with lengthy. Um, I just... You see, and I think the reason that stands out so much is because he really uses it to his advantage. Um, he, he's able to kind of lay out and make some tackles, and you see him, you know, his full body extend, and he really uses that to his ability. Next up is 
Afalabi Laguda, defensive back from Butler Community College, another guy that's already on campus. I said versatile. Um, you know, I think he's going to slot into... Uh, <laughs> I got the same thing written down. Yeah, he's, we, we're, we're doing this too much. We got to <laughs> we got to talk before this thing and to switch up our words. But, you know, he can play corner. He can play safety. Um, he's kind of one of those guys who uh, you can really put wherever you want. You just said everything I was going to say, so we'll move along. Lyle Tuiloma, defense tackle from Hawaii. Diamond, diamond in the rough from from the diamond diamond head state. I, th- I think that's a real thing. I might have just made that up, um, but you know that's a that's the guy who um, could. I, I feel like when he reaches his potential, people are finally going to start trusting Mike McIntyre and when he recruits some of these under radar guys. I said relentless. That was the word I heard about his camp performance out there, so simple enough there. Chris Bounds, tight end from Chaminade Prep. Um, pipeline. Now they're getting a solid little pipeline into Chaminade there. Uh, he's now the fourth guy that will be on this roster from that school. Um, so I think it's a, it's nice to keep that pipeline going. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you there. It's better than mine. Uh, <laughs> Brett Tons, defensive tackle from Centennial High School in Peoria, Arizona. If I hyphenate three words, locker room guy. I think I'll at, give it to you. <laughs> I think at the worst um, case for, for Brett, he's a guy that you like to have in your locker room. Uh, his coach um, says he's his favorite player he's had in 43 years. So uh, that, that says a lot about a guy. I'm going lunch, pat, dash, pale. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. He's uh, got that lunch pal mentality. He's a guy that just comes to work, and that's the reason, as you mentioned, that his coach loves him so much at the high school level and why I think Colorado's coaches are going to enjoy having him on the roster. Blake Robbins, defensive end from Georgia Military College, six foot two, 262 on his official visit. He's already on campus as well. Need. It's a position of need for the Buffaloes. Um, I think they think he has a chance to come in and contribute right away, and I know that they really want him to come in and contribute right away. Um, they need a, they need a guy out there who can get a consistent pass rush. I use the word unknown. He's a guy that no one's talking about. His film is kind of short. It doesn't really make you. It doesn't wow you like Jordan Carroll's does. And uh, he's a guy that was six two two hundred as a linebacker in high school. He was undersized. That's the reason that more schools didn't look at him. And he put on a lot of weight. Uh, I, and he missed some of his, his uh, sophomore season due to a uh, hand injury. I just want to see more of him. Aaron Baltazar, former San Diego prep star, former Boise State running back. I said proof, and I, I talked about this earlier. This is, this is proof of the staff uh, doing their due diligence to the ultimate extent. You know, I picture a couple coaches out there uh, seeing you know this pop up that that he's going to see you and just being like, what, who, where did he come yeah. from? And so I, I think that's cool. Um, for the staff to get a, a chance to um, get a guy who I don't think anyone had any dreams of, of getting in to see you. I don't have one word for him. I just have a question. Is he ready to settle down? This is a, a running back that showed some promise at Boise State as a true freshman before tearing his ACL. He transfers. He goes to Washington State uh, for the spring sem- semester. He leaves there. He doesn't even play a down of football there. He's been at the JC level, staying you know eligible to come out to Colorado. Is he ready to come out to Colorado and make this his home for the next three years? That's the question that I have with him. And if the answer is yes, then he's going to be a guy that's going to get carries for Colorado. He's got the talent, and uh, he's going to be in the mix. Moving along, we got some questions from on the Stampede Elite message board and on Twitter. We've talked about some of the topics of these questions were asked. Uh, Buff Predictor, thoughts on whether Justin Jam will redshirt or play right away? They've got quite a bit of depth at receiver, but there there is a place for a bigger receiver in this offense with Tyler McCulloch graduating? Could it be Dylan Keeney? Uh, possibly. Uh, I'm going to say 40-60 with 40 being playing right away. I think there's a better chance that he redshirts. Yeah, I would lean towards redshirt as well. You know, the, There's not really a reason for them to force him into playing time. And unless he really comes in and soaks up the offense instantly, um, like like I said, there's not a need to get him out there, so I think they'll uh, err on the side of redshirting. Major Buff had uh, a comment about uh, commits most likely playing in their first year. We kind of touched on that a little bit. Um, I think I think Nick Fisher's a guy that could be in that mix. Uh, you know, the good thing the good thing at this stage is they're finally getting away from the situation of needing 
a majority of these true freshmen to play, or even a good portion of them. I think there's only going to be a handful of these guys when you really look at the depth chart and these Juco guys coming on the D-line. and the, the bodies that are back with some of this, these JC guys makes it so that they can redshirt most of these guys. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I, we've talked about Jordan Carroll already. And uh, one, that, one that I'll say, and I've said his name a lot, uh, Steven Montez. But I'm not saying that he's going to come in take the starting job away from Cepho. I think that's a really hard thing for him to do. But injury here and there, uh, and you know maybe the Buffs have a chance to compete for a, uh, a way to get into a bowl game, and Jordan Gerke's not showing it in practice. There's a couple things that could fall a few ways where uh, Steven Montez does see the field in his first year. I'm looking back at the commitment list again. Uh, Alex Kinney, as we mentioned, as a punter, is going to play right away. But again, I, I think... Uh, either Aaron Baltazar or Donald Gordon at running back will play uh, next year. But, yeah, by and large, I think they're going to be able to redshirt most of these guys. And if they're not, that's that's trouble because that means a lot of guys got hurt. Moving along, uh, J.A. Barsh asks, is Nick Fisher a likely redshirt candidate? Again, we already kind of talked about that. I see him as a guy that could potentially be in the mix at cornerback. Now, Isaiah Oliver could make the same case. He's coming in as well with a chance to play as a cornerback this, this year. So I think either Nick Fisher or Isaiah Oliver, whoever proves that they're more ready, is, is going to be playing next season in some capacity, most likely as a guy that, that's a backup in the rotation unless they have a lot of injuries there. Dale Dogs double zero. If you were a hot dog and you were starving, would you eat yourself? Um, no. And this is no, in this is in uh, Will Ferrell, yeah, Harry Carey voice. Yes, uh, <laughs> I I would not eat myself. No, I would just starve to death. I would eat myself out of self pity because I think hot dogs are disgusting. <laughs> and so, just to rid the world of another hot dog, I would I would definitely eat what myself. What about like hot dogs and mac and cheese? Are you cool with that? I'm okay, I'm better with that, but it's more about the mac and cheese kind of masking the nastiness of the hot dog. <laughs> Are you a brat guy? Do you roll with brats? Because I like brats a lot. <clears throat> brats with sauerkraut, I can do. It wouldn't be my. I wouldn't choose it off a menu, but if it was being served, I could eat it. Okay. I think so I'll... if if I was a, a brat and I was starving, then I wouldn't eat myself. Because <laughs> you'd believe it's worth. All right. All right. <laughs> anyway, back on track here with football recruiting. Buffnick. Recruiting territories for assistance he wants to know about. And then holes left by Bear and Larusa. Now, Kent Bear was recruiting Utah, as I think most of you guys know at this point, because TJ Fahoko and Boogie Sewell, when they were no longer on the commitment list, everybody just assumed it was because Kent Bear was gone. It wasn't the case, as we mentioned earlier in the show. They parted ways for other reasons. But, yes, he was recruiting the Beehive State for the Buffaloes. Andy Larusa was their big presence out in Hawaii. He... Uh, Helped recruit Colorado. He had a territory in uh, in state here, and then he would recruit California some as well. So he was a good he was a good uh, recruiter, uh, but it wasn't like to the Troy Walters level in terms of importance on this staff. In terms of guys that are on the staff in their recruiting areas, I mentioned Troy Walters. He recruits the Houston area and part of Colorado. If they recruit a kid in in Aurora or uh, you know uh, Central Denver, it's, it's that's going to be one of his recruits. Toby Ninas, he recruits part of Colorado. Uh, he recruits San Antonio, um, and uh, he'll recruit specialists nationally. Uh, Wyatt Tucker Smith was a guy he found out in the South, and uh, of course he went down to Mexico for Diego Gonzalez. Was uh, fortunate to find uh, you know Alex Kinney in his backyard this year, but they had actually kind of put a, a wide net initially with punters for this cycle, where he was looking at guys all across the country. Uh, Jim Jeffcoat, Dallas area, that's. Obvious with his uh, history with the Cowboys there. Clayton Adams, he does a really good job. He recruits uh, Northern California. He uh, is kind of their junior college uh, recruiter as well. He's now taking over Hawaii for the Buffaloes. I don't know if that was just a short-term thing or you know if he'll continue doing that once they get the defense coordinator and other assistant on board. I would say Clayton and uh, Troy Walters are tied for being the most charismatic of the, the, uh, the coaching staff there. Okay. I wouldn't disagree with you there. Brian Lindgren, uh, you know, coordinators don't typically recruit quite as much, but he'll recruit quarterbacks nationally, and he does some in the Pacific Northwest. He's got kind of history there. Um, but, I mean, it, <clears throat> we'll see with uh, Stephen Montez if he can find a good quarterback each year. And that's his only re recruiting responsibility. He's doing a good job. Yep. Uh, with Gary Bernardi, he recruits Arizona, has been recruiting there forever, and did a really good job. Uh, recruiting down in the Grand Canyon State this year with some guys. They got uh, 
you know, Isaiah Oliver, Brett Tons, and they got Justin Janall from Arizona this year. He does also recruit, so I think, like the Inland Empire in California, some parts of California as well. And then lastly, Charles Clark, he recruits Southern California and parts of Colorado. He'll be, uh, you know, a guy that will, uh, in Colorado, be recruiting Pueblo and some other random areas for the Buffaloes. Uh, next question is Buff Merger. How much does not having a complete staff, particularly a defense coordinator, hurt recruiting? The answer here is it could really help if that defensive coordinator had certain connections with some certain recruits. Even then, though, in Colorado's situation, they were kind of filling up with space. They didn't have a lot of room anyways. More so than it hurts for this class because, like I said, you're almost filled up. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. You, you didn't necessarily see guys, like, jumping off their commitment list uh, because of it. Yeah, I mean, I think there was some hope out there within the fan base that you get a guy from another school who recruited a, you know, one he had one real one guy that he really loved that he recruited that he wants to bring along with him, but uh, by and large, it's not a, you know too much was going to happen either way. Like you said, the commitment list was pretty much full. I mean, it would, also it would have been nice to have those coaches out on the recruiting trail to kind of lay the foundation for next year too, but. You didn't miss out on having two coaches on the road because Darian Hagan was elevated, Omar Young was elevated, so they still had the same number of coaches out there. And I will say, it's more important to get the right hire a defensive coordinator than it is to rush that hire for the purposes of recruiting. It wasn't going to help you out enough to make it that important. Now we're getting close to spring ball, though. You've got to get a you got to get a coach in there for then. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the deal is there, um, and you know how quick they can get that defensive coordinator and get on the same page and put a plan out there for the defense within a week. You know, that's kind yeah, of crazy. Well, spring ball is a lot about player development more so than schemes, obviously. Right. So, moving along, at Davo on Twitter, will the new class address CU's lack of depth at linebacker and? Uh, Partly, uh, you're, you're bringing in Jay Hockaday and Jay Follow listed as an outside linebacker. But more so than that are the guys that they're going to try out at linebacker this spring that were already on the roster. Christian Shaver, Jimmy Gilbert, Taron Hasselbeck all have a chance to potentially move there. You get Grant Watanabe in, who gray-shirted last year. you got to think Addison Gilm's going to be a little bit healthier this year. I mean, he basically had a Murphy's Law season in terms of injuries. Um, so I think numbers-wise, when you... Factor in that some of these guys are going to be moving from defensive end to linebacker. You're signing two linebackers. You're bringing in a gray shirt guy. The numbers are actually okay there, especially when you consider they only put two linebackers on the field most of the time. Yeah, and people tend to forget so quickly, but we were really high on Grant Watanabe. I think I had him in my uh, my top five recruits last year. Yeah, I'm high on him as well. It's just It's going to take him some time coming back from that foot injury. He was... Uh, on crutches for a very, very long time to finally shed them not too long ago. And I don't think he's going to be a full participant in spring ball. He's a guy you probably um, redshirt. But, again, I think uh, more of the, the question marks with linebackers comes, okay, where do some of these defensive ends that are practicing at linebacker in the spring factor in? How is Addison Gillum's health? Is Kenneth Olabode progressing more so than sheer numbers at linebacker? Uh Basically the same question for somebody else asking about linebacker. Um, but he also asks, uh, should Texas become priority going forward? Um, I think if you have guys on your staff, like let's say the new defensive coordinator or the other assistant that they hire has ties in Texas, that'd be great. But not necessarily a priority, especially playing in the Pac-12, Pac-12 networks. It's more of a thing out in California. You can sell. We're going to go to your hometown every other year and you can play in front of your friends and family. Yeah, I mean, Colorado has a history of getting uh, players out of Texas, so it's always going to be an important state for them to go into and recruit, but, you know, it's not, it doesn't need to be number one. It doesn't need to be the number one priority. Yeah, if you say, would you rather have 10 top 100 recruits in California or 10 top 100 recruits in Texas, I'm kind of, you're splitting hairs there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Moving along. Piantino family uh, asks about the chances of getting Pachacar and J.J. Wilson. As I mentioned earlier, I think CU has a decent chance of getting Carr. Uh, and I think if you put a gun to my head, I think J.J. Wilson's going to go with Arizona State. Does uh, does that handle Piantino family? Are they just admitting that they all share one account? I don't know. Actually, that's against the rules. They should uh, have to each get their own account. 
We'll let it slide if it's like if it's like the PC in the in, in the kitchen. I mean, what are you gonna you're gonna ask the dad to log out every time? Hey, I don't even let my roommates look at my uh, my buff stampede. They gotta buy their own subscriptions. Wow, okay, okay. I like it. If there were more people like you, then we'd uh, have a bigger budget for the show. But we share a Netflix account, so we don't have anywhere to talk. <laughs> quiet, quiet, Ryan. You're gonna get us in trouble over here <laughs> at Denver. One on Twitter, he, he just, it's not a question, he just says the lack of excitement about recruiting this year is shocking slash disturbing. Uh, I think on the Stampede Elite Board, there's plenty of discussion about the recruiting class, but you're right, there's not, when you recruit blue chippers, there's just more excitement. That's the way it is. Until that changes, that's what it's going to be. Also, it doesn't help the uh, excitement factor of things that there's not really any last minute decisions coming down here. Um, I, I was looking at um, my my old tweets from forever ago, and it, I was looking at Embry's first class. And on the day of it, I was like, "All right, let's see who this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy." You know, Devin Lucian, Stefan Nemba, Malcolm Creer. All these guys were deciding on the very last day, and that's exciting. You know, it's something yeah. everyone's tied to their computer all day on signing day. Now, um, with most of it being filled up, it's not as it's not as um, pertinent to you know be uh, following it all day on signing day. But still tune in on signing day because I'm going to be working hard and I appreciate it if people actually tune in. I think, you know, the people who are still uh, tuning in at this point are going to be, you know, are still that type of person who, who's diehard on signing day. And we have something planned for the signing day blog this year. Ryan, uh, Tyler Ziskin, and I are all going to put our own thoughts on each commitment when they come across. So just something kind of fresh, something new we're going to do this year. Let's finish up here, Ryan. i got a couple more questions just in terms of recruiting in general. I was kind of curious what you thought. You, you, you've grown up here in, in Boulder. What, what's the one restaurant in Boulder that absolutely needs to be on the official visit itinerary for CU? See, I, and this is, this is my issue here. I don't think there is one in Boulder. Okay. I really don't think there is. I said the sink. I, I saw that, and I think that's a, probably the best answer you could have, but I just, I'm not This kind of shows the college vibe. It shows you the hill. I'm just not crazy about the sink. I, gotta, I don't think... They're, like they're the president burgers. of the United States, it was good enough for him. <laughs> that's because, like, like I said, it's the one place that you point to of like, oh, that's the Boulder place. But I mean, I just I, I like the sink. I just don't think it's you know some crazy great place. Like my favorite restaurant in Boulder is Japango, but you're not sending you know no, recruits no. to get sushi. So uh, you know, I would say Efren's is like my another good one. But like these kids are coming from Southern California. No, they have they know no. good Mexican. I'm food. from Arizona, and that and I disagree with that. So that's so that's what I'm it's saying. Good, it's good Mexican restaurant, but it's not a place you have to take a kid to. I, that's why I think that's the issue is there is no um, great great restaurant in Boulder that you have to go. Well, to. Pasta Jays is synonymous with CU football, so the fact they take recruits there I think is a good idea. And I know their Italian style isn't for everybody, but their style I think is well received by younger, younger people. Yeah. Uh, they have taken them to the Boulder Chop House, which is always, a, I mean, that's a good meal. Good meal, yeah. Um, they've done a lot of things like in the club suites to show the view, and, and that's that's a good idea to cater to that. I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that taking them to Pasta Jays is the wrong decision. You know, I the, bu- the Buff Restaurant is a good one. They do that with breakfast, the Saddleback Pancakes, the amount of food that they feed people there. I think that's a good, good idea, and that's they they do have taken recruits there forever. Yep. But you know, they don't under Mike McIntyre, take the recruits down to Denver. This was something that Dan Hawkins did. I remember a few times I would be out in Denver when I lived down there, and I'd run into the into the group, and uh, it was usually on the Friday night when they would fly them in. Um, they did that under John Embry as well, I believe, most of the time. Um, they're not doing that. It, it, do you think it's important? Now you have a short period of time, a maximum of 48 hours. Sometimes if it's, it's a quicker visit, like let's say if you bring in – and they haven't done this much, but if you bring in recruits during the season, they usually don't get in until Saturday morning, and they're flying back Sunday. Is it do, should there be a premium on these kids seeing Denver as well as Boulder? I, I don't necessarily think so. Um, I, I think the issue of not having that restaurant, that go-to restaurant in Boulder, could be fixed by taking them down to Blake Street Tavern. I think that's a, a good place where you could, you know, bring them. There's CU stuff everywhere. There's good food, kind of a cool atmosphere. That's the kind of the reason out. But but. Boulder's, you know, it, it speaks for itself. You don't necessarily need to say, oh, there's also Denver down here. You know, students don't really start going down to Denver until they're upperclassmen um, if they do at all. So I think it's better to use that short time to really showcase Boulder and show them everything you can about the campus. 
I, yeah, I don't have a big problem with it either way. I think when they had the ESPN zone down in Denver and that's and that they would bring recruits there, I think that was a really good idea. If there was still the ESPN zone, I would kind of suggest more that they should take recruits down there. But um, I'm fine with it. I, I think Tad Boyle actually does take hoops recruits down to Blake Street Tavern. Um, now, we've had this debate before about in-season official visits and postseason official visits. As I mentioned earlier, they only hosted three in-season official visitors this year. Um, and I think it was only one. Yeah, it was only one the year before McIntyre's first full recruiting year. Do you have a, a preference on this? Now, obviously, in season, you get to show them game days, atmosphere. Boulder's usually beautiful in September, October, but you don't get to spend as much time with the recruits. The coaches, their time is more on the game. Um, right now, I think going postseason official visits is fine. Um, I don't have a big problem with it. I think once you start winning games, once Folsom starts getting filled up, you want to get them in there because Folsom really is a special place. Um, you know, it has a a history about it. It's a beautiful, beautiful stadium. You know, you can look out over the Flatirons, and of course, they can show that to them anytime. Something about you know when they finally get fifty thousand people in there, the house is rocking. You want to get guys in there and show them that. Right now, um, the best experience on campus is probably going to a basketball game, which um, in the past they have done that. It didn't really work out too well for them this year going to basketball games, and basketball really hasn't been that great. But right now I think it's fine for them to bring them in after and really try and get their message across. Once they start get going, uh, get going and, and winning games and Folsom again, I think it's going to be important to get them in then. Before we sign off, let's quickly rank our top five commitments from the class of 2015. Ryan, I'm going to let you start. Go five, five to one. All right, number five, Dylan Middlemiss. We've talked about him. He's big. He's he's a Colorado guy. I think um, important to get those Colorado offensive linemen. Um, next is kind of a, a little bit of a, a wrench in the gears, I guess. I, I really like Aaron Baltazar and the potential that he brings to that running back um, corpse. You know, if he is able to you know, um, channel what he did that freshman year at Boise State and, and build on that, I think he could, you know, be a feature back possibly in this offense. Next is Donald Gordon, another running back who I really like. Um, I just love the way, the style that he runs. He, he's able to run with a slightly upright um, style about him, and he still, you know, gets guys to bounce off him, and he's still pretty shifty and breaks tackles. Number two, Tim Lanott, um, an absolute must get for the buffs and they got him um and i think that's really important can't be looked over and obviously number one is my guy steven montez yeah i knew you were going to go there (laughs) um i got a couple of different names which is good we've agreed so much on this show number five for me is jordan carroll and actually i would have had him ranked higher but because he is a juco guy he's only going to have two years to compete for the for the buff so it's hard for me to put him higher on this list number four i've got tim lanat I uh, really like him, but you know, offensive line, you got to develop a little bit. It's not going to be an instant impact guy, most likely. Number three is Alex Kinney. I, I mean, as much as you can enjoy punter film, I really think he's got a great leg, <laughs> and he's going to uh, start from day one, barring anything crazy happening here between now you're, and You're going to send the message boards into hysteria, putting a punter as your number three recruit. Well, I would say if you look at the commitment list, and even you can look at highly rated classes and be like, who does what they do the best? And if, if that's your criteria, Alex Kenny could potentially be number one on your list for this class. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree. I, I just, I know that someone out there, if our punters are best, third best recruit, then... Well, Darrell O'Neill was the Buffalo's best player in, what was it, 2012? 2012, yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. there's that. Uh, number two, so Steve. That. <laughs> number two, Steve Amontez. Uh, I'm not in love with him like you are, Ryan, but I really, really, really really like Steven Montez and his potential. I, I still haven't officially announced him as a savior, so I'm still <laughs> staying away from that word. You know, I, w- I was jokingly saying that I was almost thinking about using savior as my one word for him when back when we were talking about the commits, but I just I couldn't do that to Buffs fans. That, that would be mean. Yeah, I think we're a bit shell-shocked of hearing all these great things, especially about quarterbacks and getting out there and even our own eyes deceived us somehow and, you know, players like Connor Wood falls apart once he gets out on the field. So it, you, you, I, I can't say that word yet. I can't say savior yet. All right. I might before the before he plays. And number one, uh, a little surprising maybe, is Nick Fisher. I really like his game, and I think he's hit between his athleticism, his versatility, his size, just his skill set from top to bottom. I think he's a guy that's going to 
be a really, really good football player for the Buffaloes in the future. Uh, that's that kind of wraps up the show. Ryan, uh, are you uh, are you excited about signing day? Are you kind of ready to turn the page to 2016, or, or is signing day a day where you kind of go, oh, I kind of wish I could, we could keep uh, calling these kids for another six months before they actually make it official? <laughs> I, I, I love signing day. I think it's a cool thing. Every it's it's almost like the the official kickoff to the next season. You know, everyone's excited about the guys they're bringing in. It's almost like that. Everyone's zero and zero, and all those recruits haven't proved anything on the field yet. So everyone can believe whatever they want about them right now. And I think it's cool to see, you know, every fan base kind of gets excited um, during signing day. And even though there's going to be the doom and gloom posters out there, you know, complaining about the rankings, um, I think it's just a cool day. So I am also excited to look forward and kind of shift my focus towards the next uh, recruiting class because I I know you kind of go out ahead and cover your bases but you know personally I haven't really looked into that class too much yet so I'm excited to be able to turn the page and look into that well it is also the fax machines day to shine yes and no other day during the year do you even think about using a fax machine except for letter of intent day so or Elvis Doomerville (laughs) yeah exactly well Colorado's going to dust off that fax machine because they'll be coming in bright and early. I want you guys to all tune in to buffstampede.com on Wednesday for all of our coverage. We're going to have a live signing day blog like always. Thanks for tuning into the show. And again, tune in on signing day to buffstampede.com. Don't worry about a thing.